We welcome back to the show this week, Mark Dunderdown, Stuart Roberts. How you doing, Mark? I'm very well, thank you. Good to be back. Yeah, good to have you back. And Stu, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Thanks, I'm all good. Looking forward to my first UWF episode. Yeah, absolutely. So this is, is this the first one since a changeover? I suppose it must be, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, crikey. I'm feeling very tired today, gentlemen, if I'm completely honest. So I think I'm going to have to lean on you quite heavily. I was on a three-hour-plus podcast last night. Which was very, which was very, it was good. How much of it stays in? Um, but it was really interesting chat around various philosophical differences about wrestling. So, yeah. how much of that stays in uh, in in the realm of a review? No, I don't think we're supposed to, supposed to um, announce the shows that we're reviewing ahead of when they announce it. But it was a a show from 1990. I think Mark might. Oh, you know already. Actually, we won't say it on air because I've mentioned it in the group, haven't I? But for, for all the hundreds of thousands of crossover listeners between those two podcasts, I won't spoil the surprise in a few weeks' time. But we had a lot of interesting chats around um, how heels work. Adam Cole was the example that was given. So it's like Adam Cole obviously comes out, does his shtick, and he's kind of like a baby face tweener and then but he is supposed to be a heel and yeah i don't know i, I feel i guess the the kind of um one of the arguments was wrestling bad guys don't really wrestle like bad guys anymore and they should do more heel stuff i made the point i think that you can have a heel that is just better than everyone and acts like a dick like floyd mayweather for example um but yeah what do you guys think we've got off an immediate tangent i wasn't planning on what do you you go first choose you're on my screen how do you think? Can, how do you think heels should be in in twenty twenty two? Well, I think I think the, the the waters are very muddied, aren't they? Because you know, when you go back to wrestling twenty thirty years ago, you know, heels were were were, were hated, weren't they? They were loathed. Let's take yeah. for example, Sergeant Slaughter. For example, that 1991, he was he was absolutely loathed as a heel. But nowadays, heels are almost eulogised, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? In, in, in such that heels are then pushed almost into becoming faces. I mean, again, you know, the, the Steve Austin, you know, very much a heel, wasn't he, in the lead up to that match against Brett. And then all of a sudden, you know, he was doing heel things and, and stuff like that. And the crowd were just loving him. So so I think the whole the whole sort of like ethos of being a heel is totally totally changed now hasn't it because of the the fan reaction and i think that's what's driven um why heels don't necessarily need to do you know the, the heelish things because you know the crowd if the crowd are onto them and stuff like that then you know they no longer become a heel so it's very it's, it's not black and white anymore is it there's a multiple no. shades of gray and and does it need does it that does a heel need to be a old school wrestling heel mark do you think or can you just be Shades of Grey, and and, and the, is the most important thing that people are interested in your character and what happens with your match outcomes. No, I, I think um, that's part of the fascination of pro wrestling on the whole. There's so many different ways to get your message across, and if that's been a heel, you know you've got the cowardly heel thing. People like the Miz do that really, really well. You've got the you were saying there about somebody who's really, really good but cocky with it. I mean, look at Brock Lesnar. He's not backing away from any fights. Mm. Um, he's dominating people. But, um, well, before this recent babyface turn, that is. And um, getting back to the Adam Cole example, though, I think a lot of the current generation, the guys in their 20s and 30s that are coming up now and getting big spots in, in the big companies, it seems like there's certainly, if you read 
everyone's social media, there seems to be a lot of Bret Hart guys and a lot of Shawn Michaels guys. And Adam Cole is absolutely a self-admittedly Shawn Michaels guy. Mm. So I think he gets a lot of criticism for things like um, overdoing the facial expressions and trying to trying to make out that things are really dramatic and tense when it hasn't really got to that point. Uh, naturally, he's sort of forcing it. I've seen him criticised for that a lot. And a lot of the guys who wrestle that style, Johnny Gargano is another Shawn Michaels guy and and they've got a certain kind of style, whereas you see him Punk and people like that, obviously he's a babyface at the moment. But um, the way they come up and the way they deconstruct things... Um, like I say, there's so many different ways to be a heel, same as babyface, and it's who who you're sort of um, who you looked up to in the past. Is a lot of people are influenced by who they looked up to and try and incorporate that into their own thing. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think um, it's interesting about the Bret Hart thing because I think when I was probably what eighteen, nineteen, I think Shawn Michaels used to get a lot of a lot of love from, and I probably said this on the podcast ad nauseum before. Um, I do I do think that there's a number of people that do Shawn Michaels better than Shawn Michaels did. AJ Styles is a good example of that. I think AJ Styles is every bit as good as Shawn Michaels ever was, and probably better actually. You, you might be able to make the argument that some some of Shawn's like you know facials and things might be better than AJ's, but I think AJ is 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 a more rounded total package. Whereas Bret Hart, there isn't really anyone. Certainly in North, I can't think of a single person in North American wrestling since Brett finished, it does Brett Hart. Can you think of anyone, Mark, that's close to him? No, obviously a lot of people try and, and use his style, but so it, you know, there's a big divide. It's one thing to look up to someone. It's another thing to do it as well. Like say, some people have cracked the code, if you like, with the Shawn Michaels thing, but Brett, Brett's in a league of his own. Yeah. I, I agree. Do you agree? What, what are your thoughts on that, Stu? Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with that at all. I can't think of anybody that even comes remotely close to be honest with you so but like mark says a lot of guys you know um can be around the Shawn michaels level you know brian danielson is another one for me who who, who is certainly up there um possibly even better dare i say um i think danielson's definitely better than michaels yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So, um, and I, it's, it's strange talking about heels, but I was really invested in Danielson's heel uh, when he turned heel in WWE. You know, when he sort of like uh, um, uh, kicked AJ, didn't he, to win the title and stuff like that. I've, I, 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 I really enjoyed Daniel's heel run in the WWE. So, hmm. um, yeah, I don't think I don't think for me that um, necessarily that's that's one thing that kind of gets my goat up a lot. I think Go, going back to the Bret Hart thing, the only person that I think is, is, and, and he's a very different, he's like, oh, he's almost like a hybrid Hiroshi Tanahashi in new Japan in his, in his pomp was such a good seller and everything felt so real with him that there was some comparisons, but he was slightly flashier than Brett, but not, not flashy in a, um, you know, light touch cruiserweight flyer sort of way, more like a, he was a heavyweight that would do stuff, you know, big moves to the outside and but but not not super flippy. But apart from that, there's there's not there's not really anyone I can think of. Um, Akada's certainly not like Bret Hart. Um, I think in terms of heel work, there's there's things that I'd put way above um the way heels are presented. I think the main problem, and and Stu, I know you but you don't watch much AEW. Mark, you're probably not watching very much week to week now, are you, in terms of dynamite? No. No, I mean this is this is coming out after their pay per view, so um, 
probably heard me moaning about it a week ago or saying it was the best thing since sliced bread. But I think one of the one of the things is I think that the thing that's missing in in wrestling is character development and they throw a load of good dynamites just a com- combination of you know these supposedly sort of good re- good to excellent wrestling matches between two people where there's no real um issue and there's no real um con- you know most of the outcomes are pretty um clear and that's not um, always the most uh serious thing or most important thing but it's just like let's just throw a load of wrestling at it and it's, like, it doesn't really mean anything let's fr- throw a few surprises in there it's like well I quite I quite like Darby Allen, but I haven't heard him cut a promo for six weeks, and his character is exactly where it was a year ago. And I quite like Jungle Boy; he's been stuck in a tag team for nearly two years, and there's just no advancements. But we'll shuffle the deck a bit and throw a few throw a few more names in there and hope something sticks. It's just very bizarre, and I, I'm not close enough to WWE to even really comment on their on their stuff at the moment. But heels for me is not the what so you're on my screen. What's what's the what's the what's your biggest bugbear with modern wrestling as it stands at the moment? Who me? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, well, see, I don't watch. You know, like I said, I don't really watch AEW at the moment. Um, I don't know. It just feels very um, like you say. It feels, and I think this is always the case with WWE after WrestleMania. It always feels a little bit stagnant for three three four months until you get to SummerSlam and then it starts it starts ratcheting up a little bit but I, I can't disagree with what you're saying you know where, where is the character development in WWE because you know you've got you've got Reigns who's the universal or, or joint or whatever you want to call it what um, stupid name belt that is as well yeah 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 but who who is a legitimate challenger to Reigns at this moment in time in WWE the, 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 there isn't anybody because there's I don't really maybe Seth Rollins Cody Rhodes obviously down the line and stuff like that but but here and now I I, I really don't see Reigns having a credible opponent for the next three to six months mm. and that's a long time for your figurehead to not have you know I mean you can you, you, you'll, you'll probably trip down the lines of, of Randy Orton eventually been there done that Matt, you oh, know yeah. Matt Riddle but 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 there really isn't anybody that's being developed to be that next legitimate or, or should I say that you legitimately believe has a chance of beating Reigns. Yeah. Yeah. That, you that's the mu- thing. It's not, it's not, it's, it's developing their character. So people actually believe that they've got a chance of defeating him. And now you can look at that. Have they built Reigns up like that? You know, are they a victim of their own sort of like success over the last 18 months by building Reigns into being this, 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 this guy um, or are they equally as guilty as, uh, of not developing three or four that you really feel? Because I don't believe there's anybody in there that will, will, will. The only way that Reigns will lose a title, in my opinion, two ways: um, if he faces the Rock at WrestleMania, or if he has a match and then somebody cashes in a Money in the Bank. Yeah, yeah. And if they do that, the chances are that he would probably win it back at the next pay per view. Because there isn't anybody that is is for me legitimate can beat him at this moment in time. Because I think in each in, six months in, in any ch- any challenge to Reigns, I think as a viewer, even it's a bit like the Undertaker streak. You you want to believe for five seconds that this guy is going to beat him, and if you haven't, if you've got no belief, then there's no interest in the match. Um, before we stop um, complaining about modern wrestling and go back in time, what is it? Thirty. Kaki, what's the mess? 
36 years. Mark, what's your biggest bugbear in pro wrestling at the moment, in modern day pro wrestling? Well, very, very similar in terms of WWE, very, very similar to what Stuart just said, but I'd translate that to the women's division as well. Um, they've tried to do a couple of pushes here and there with the likes of Bianca Belair, but you know that at some point, whether it's in a couple of weeks or a couple of months, Becky Lynch and or Charlotte are going to get their belts back mm. because they've been the ones who they've been pushed for at least the last two or three years. And um, obviously Ronda coming in for that year changed things and, and now she's uh, involved again this year. But um, beyond those three, I mean, um, it all started for me when Asuka had an undefeated streak, was going great, and then uh, Charlotte beat her and she never got back to that level again. Um, I know, I know. This is we're recording this a couple of weeks before it comes out, but just last night on Monday Night Raw, uh, a week after they'd announced uh, Bianca Belair versus Asuka at the next pay per view, something fresh that never had a match on pay per view before, uh, they inserted Becky Lynch, so it's mm. now a three way. So straight back to uh, how we started, it's the second pay per view since WrestleMania, and I've got a feeling that's how long Becky's going to go without a belt, and she'll probably win that match. So. Like Stuart said about Roman, they've got that's their top guy and the struggle to it, they do push people for a limited time and to a limited degree. And then the likes of Rollins will go in, in a couple of main events and then be pushed down again while they do somebody else, McIntyre, whoever that is. And um, yeah, it's just frustrating that obviously you're going to have your, your top guys. They always have through history. Roman is the current one, but they've got to really get behind people more than they do instead of half-heartedly giving them sort of a push but not seeing it through to the end and uh, as a result they go straight back to where they started from whether the Cody Rhodes things that thing pays off because I mean he's another one he's you know he had the 10-year running WWE left for five years and come back the difference being he's got a bigger push than ever they're going with his own sort of uh, the, the character that he created after leaving WWE and if they stick with that and keep letting him talk and letting him have his style of match, maybe that'll come off. Maybe it won't. Yeah, I hope. I hope so with him. I, I I feel like they won't pull the trigger with him the whole way. I think maybe him and um, Reigns at SummerSlam, perhaps. But um, I can't. I can't see them if they don't have the Rock at WrestleMania. I think they're in, they're in a, they're in big big trouble trying to sell all those tickets. But. Um, well, I'd be, we'll pushing, see on I'd, be, I'd be pushing Cody Rhodes then for WrestleMania. I think so, but can you hold that so, for so long? I think he's the thing, and you probably won't know. I think you've... don't know. It all depends. I mean, I, you'd think he's a shoo-in to win Money in the Bank, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd be a shoo-in to win it. But I think Cody not winning the title in his first challenge will, will kill him off, I think, or, or be very close to killing him off. But we will talk about that, all that good stuff, in the months and weeks to come. But anyway, now we're getting on our time machines. And through the magic of post-production, you'll have heard our intro music, Secret Lovers by Atlantic Star, which was 12th, the 12th biggest selling song in the United States in 1986. In the preceding weeks on the show, you've heard the top 11 best selling. I think... Um, Crikey, I can't remember what the song. It was from Cocktail last week. Help me out. Uh, Stu, you'll know it. Uh, what's the song that was in... in uh, I think it was in Cocktail. I'm doing a terrible job, so I'm moving on. I might learn that up and come back to it. Um, and that's basically why those songs are at the start. And if it wasn't clear, 
there you go. There you know why we've got weird songs at the start. And um, I know the song Secret Lovers by Atlantic Star, but I don't think I'd ever heard of the band Atlantic Star. Stu, what you're as our resident music buff. Have you did you ever hear of them? Uh, they are that's a new one on me. Mark, um, have you ever heard of them? No, same here. I, I'm up on my 80s music as well, but that, that's a new no. one. Just, yeah. to, just to throw a curveball in, I don't think it would have been Cocktail because that wasn't released until 88. Uh, I'm talking about Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer. Ah. Uh, oh, it might I think, be that, I think that was in Cocktail, wasn't it? I'll, I'll have a look. I think he was singing. It was in the bar in Cocktail, so that, that would work um, in terms of... I have of, to say, though, it is one of the greatest videos I love that video. Yeah, yeah. What about um, what about uh, Cocktail as a film, though? One of the greatest films of all time? I I, I find that film... I've watched it. I find it a difficult watch because of what happens in it. I, it. It's one of those things that never sits comfortably with... Has ever sat comfortably with me, that film. So sorry, I've only watched it once, unfortunately. And, with uh, Doug? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I find, I find it quite... Yeah, yeah, I find that quite a, quite that a hard watch. Fun. However, whilst we're while we're on the subject of Tom Cruise films, um, by the time this podcast comes out, I will have watched Top Gun two. Yeah, so very much looking forward to that. Yeah, hopefully it's good. I've heard nothing about it so far. But whether we venture to the cinema to watch that or wait till it comes out, well, apparently um, you've got a standing ovation at the Cannes Film Festival. Apparently. Yeah, really? Wow. Yeah, Addicted to Love was on the cocktail was soundtrack. It? Um, I the two I the bit that you're talking about with Doug is absolutely heartbreaking. I also really don't don't like it in Cocktail when he um, he's with Elizabeth Shue and it's like amazing, 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 and then he gets that gets basically that bet with the guy at the bar that he can't get with a girl that's got money, and he goes off with that old lady. I'm like Tom, what are you doing? What's his name in that? What's his name? Do you know? Can you remember what his name is, Mark? What's his I name? can't. No, I can't remember. Oh, I can't remember. What? what? Tom Cruise's character in Cocktail. Tom Cruise's character in Cocktail, yeah. Uh, I'll have a look. Isn't it? Uh, oh, Brian Flanagan. Brian Flanagan. Yeah, there we go. I tell you what, here we go. I don't this is a, this is, I mean, you gentlemen are very, very smidgen older than me. Is are either your memories going, do you think? Because I'm I have grave concerns about mine, to be honest. My memory's nowhere near as sharp as it was even two or three years ago, I would say. I think I'm okay. Yeah, that worries me even more then. Mark, how about you? <laughs> I'm trying to say that very sensitively. <laughs> My long-term memory is great, but I can only focus on less things than I used to be able to focus Yeah, on. I feel like some stuff, like at, like at work, I've, I've sent an email around like a couple of weeks ago and, I, and then someone tells me I've done it, I've got no recollection of it whatsoever. So it's like, yeah, it's... Um, yeah, That's perhaps- the drinking. Well, I'll tell you, I don't drink I'll tell you what I am really, apart from the old I mean, full of, the Fulham away end of the season did take it out of me, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not even drinking on the podcast anymore. I'm drinking a, um, a vanilla Diet Coke tonight. So here we oh, go. Yeah, I'm on a pink gin and tonic. Oh, um, very nice. I'll tell you what I, I'll tell you what I am having to do at work though. I have set up a separate calendar because part of my job is I fire off loads of things to people and I, oh, can you get me this? Can you get me that? Can you do yeah, this? Yeah. And I need it by then, then, and then. So I've got a separate calendar now. So any all those emails that I send, I drop into that calendar as a reminder, because I, that so but like I'm a bit like my short term. Uh, I, yeah, I can't. You know, if I if I do something in my head, I've done it. So I put it in that calendar and forget about it. So my short term memory is not as great, but yeah. long term, I, I, I yeah, I'm, I think I'm okay. I mean, I can still remember quite a lot of useless stuff. It's just yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a concern. Uh, going back to Atlantic Star, um, little did I know that this band hailed, that hailed from New York had 13 studio albums and a whopping wow. 15 different members. So move over Destiny's Child with their ever-changing lineup. 
Uh, anyway, on with the show. And we got a recap of the six-man tag last week. And then on stage were Ross and Michael Hayes. Hayes said that if people stuck their nose in his business, they would end up out of the UWF. On the show, we had the Fantastics defending the tag titles against Hollywood, John Tatum and Jack Victor with Missy Hart in their corner. Plus, the UWF television title will be on the line with Terry Taylor defending against Freeboard, which I've written in my notes, but I meant to say Freebird, Buddy Roberts. We also had Jim Duggan versus the One Man Gang and an update on the Dr. Death Steve Williams injury. And up first, the Libyan going up against Gary Young in a real star-studded opener. Um, and to be fair, Young did get a decent reaction here. Um, oddly, there's nothing on Gary Young's cage match record between a few spots in St. Louis in 1978 and this run in the UWF in 86. So I don't know if he was doing something else during that time. And he got the win in one minute and 50 seconds with a sunset flip, um, which he took a little bit of time to get into. But actually, I really like this because it looked like he was struggling to get him. It wasn't like a, just a very you know, clean sunset flip. So I actually thought this was pretty good. And I thought the crowd liked the finish. Um, Stu, over to you first. What did you make of this opener? Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I thought Gary was very popular with the crowd. One thing I did notice that Hayes was giving Gary Young a lot of kudos during that, obviously two minutes, but he, he, Michael Hayes, he was, he was really, I thought, bigging him up. Um, I mean, there's not really a lot to say about the match. I, lo- I love the sunset flip out the corner to get the victory. Um, but I, I like you. I, I I was trying to find some information on this 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 Libyan uh, character, and I tell you what, it's like a, he's like a ghost on the internet. I could find very very little, and I found this I found this website which showed the num- number of shows that 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 people did in UWF, and he did thirty five shows in nineteen eighty six. Mm. But I cannot find I, I can find nothing on him at all, apart yeah. from an odd reference here. Um, but no, no detail behind the character or anything like that. So I'd be quite interested to 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 know a little bit more about him. But I mean, it was a two minute match, so there's not really a lot you can say about it. But no. um, obviously, I, I I just thought Hayes was really bigging up Gary Young quite considerably. So um, so yeah, that's it. Hayes, me, really. Hayes has been very good on commentary. So he is. I thought he was stellar yeah. through the show. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Mark, over to you. Yeah, Phil. Uh, Phil had said last weekend, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast about um, his research showed that the Libyan might have been Gustavo Mendoza but um, we found out uh, they were on the same same show the same match. So uh, I I was researching before I listened to that and I actually found the same thing Phil found that that suggested that. So it crossed my mind, maybe not everything on the internet's true. Um, No, there you go, yeah. Well, I I saw that as well, Mark. There was a thread about it and like they were saying, oh no, then he ended up being in a tag match and stuff like that together and things. But um, yeah, the the guy's the ghost, I think. So I found that uh, Gary Young had spent a couple of years in the NWA before he took a four-year layoff uh, from 1982 to 1986. He'd just come back uh, for this UWF run and um, he was in good shape. Uh, I do have issues with Trunks, knee pads, and boots being in three separate colours. Um, yeah, that is great. iffy, isn't it? One's okay, but never three. Um, and Mick Foley spoke very positively about Gary Young in his first autobiography. Have a nice day. He said he lot learned a lot about the business when they tagged together in 1988, the Continental. Down no, in I never, yeah, I don't remember that at all. Yeah, wow. It, it came out of that book well. Um, yeah, the match was mostly punches and elbow shots before that sunset flip finish. Uh, but they were both laying their shots in, and I thought it looked good. Um, Michael Hayes on commentary talked about Young losing a few matches already in 
the UWF, and then he called his win a big upset. But from the small bits I found online about the Libyan, he was basically used as an enhancement guy as well. So it was going to be a big win for whichever of these guys was going over. Indeed. Next up, a question everyone asks sooner or later is how much would new windows cost for your home? Of course, size and style come into it. But what is the value for protecting your home? And what about fuel costs? And a lady talks about replacing locks and handles. And a guy in a blue shirt talks about burglars and said there wouldn't be one dumb enough in the neighbourhood to try and take on triple glazed glass. Lovely shots of a couple of operators waiting to take your call with a futuristic for the time headset on. Um, I've probably done a better job with that than the advert actually was. I thought this was pretty dull and dry. And annoyingly was one of those adverts that took up the whole advert break, which is never good for these purposes. Mark, what did you think of this? And uh, did it start making you think about your own windows? Right then, here we go. You mentioned earlier our slight age differences. Mm. And uh, the guy who did most of the talking in this advert is a very famous person in my eyes. And um, I'm sure you don't recognise him, Steve. No. Do you, do you recognise the guy with the dark hair that was in the advert? Uh, I'll be honest with you here. Uh, <laughs> I didn't really pay much attention to the. <laughs> oh shoot! I didn't realise that was a staple part of the oh, podcast. News. The only thing I did get was that I found there was some nice tiling going on in some of the room <laughs> shots. But no, I didn't really pay attention. Go on, March. Go on. So it, it was an actor called Jamie Farr. He's still alive now. Uh, he played the role of Klinger in the Mash TV series. Ah, oh, okay. And okay. Um, yeah, I never watched Mash. Strangely, he seemed a bit wooden in the advert, totally unlike the wacky character he was playing in the TV show. Um, but the programme MASH that neither of you watched, clearly, um, I used to watch it uh, in the day, and it, it lasted 11 years, and it went over 250 episodes. And this Jamie Farr guy was in 216 of them, the third wow. most prolific okay. cast member. And Was it, was um, it about he, a hospital he, in the Vietnam War, was it? Or? Uh, in Korea. Korea. Yeah. And um, yeah, he was one of only two cast members in the show. It was made in the 70s and into the 80s who actually did serve in Korea as part of the US Army. And um, the final episode, which aired in 1983, is still to this day, nearly 40 years later, the most watched episode of any TV series in history. Wow. So that's a good uh, quiz question. That is some impressive uh, research. The finale of MASH, because I'd heard that somewhere before. So for this, I, I went bit more into it and um, the finale of MASH is the most watched episode of any scripted television show in history obviously news events have had a few more viewers but okay so uh, that that was my thought I don't know much about triple glazing windows I don't think I've ever heard that expression until uh, this advert I used to have triple glazed windows in the flat that I rented uh, in Somerset because it was right by it's literally right by the train line the first night I was in there the whole flat rattled and I thought I'm never ever going to sleep again but it did it, I did finally get used to it I think with MASH I remember my sisters my middle sister watching it and I don't know whether that would have been whether we got it late and that that would have been maybe 86 87 I have a very yeah, vague memory of I, that I wouldn't remember it in 83 I was only four years old myself yeah so I remember watching repeats years later yeah so I guess that because that's the thing like that, that two or three years is quite a lot when it comes to 
like you the stuff that when you were probably well I guess seven or so you'd have had quite a lot of memory around that sort of time but that would have still been I mean one of the pretty much the earliest thing I can really remember watching was the 1987 FA Cup final but apart from that around that time I can remember maybe the odd kids tv show I can remember very little really until sort of 88 89 into 90 and I can remember you know most of the stuff going on then it was 83.3 million homes um so sorry, Mash Ed, more, uh, what was it? 125 million viewers that final episode, which is insane, isn't it? That's that's, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Um, Stu, so I, I presume you've got nothing to add on these this this advert here. Uh, no, I, I was just thinking about my earliest TV memory, and, and I think my earliest TV memory that I can vividly remember was watching Live Aid in '85. Mm. That would probably be my the thing that stuck in my head. More than more than anything. So, um, but yeah, Mash was no. I never watched never watched Mash at all. Can you so both remember? Sorry, uh, Mark, you go ahead. I, I was going to say we're three years apart. Then Stuart remembers it, the summer of eighty five. My first memory would be the FA Cup final eighty six and Steve's ah. final eighty seven. So, can you both remember the eighty six World Cup? Yes. Yes. I remember watching it with my dad and my brother. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Because I think because I was bizarrely I was thinking about this the other day that. Um, I remember 87. So 86, I must have been around. I, I was really thinking, I wish I could see what I was doing during that England versus Argentina game. Because I would have been nearly, what would I have been, five. So I would have been at school. So you think that almost, you're not far away from that. I remember that, I, I suppose. But I guess I probably would have been around. And maybe I watched it. I just got no memory of it whatsoever. So I don't know what day of the week it was or anything. I think from a football tournament, though, um, my... The, the, the football tournament that I've got the most sort of like ingrained knowledge that I could rattle off is World Cup Italian 90. That's yeah. the one where I probably paid more attention to it. Got vague recollections of Euro 88, um, but but the, the the World Cup in Italia 90 is, is, is and I remember collecting a fact file on it where you, you know, you buy these the big red folder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, so I'd probably say that that's my ingrained memory of, of football tournaments yeah i remember italian 90 really well i do remember euro 88 but england were terrible in that and at that england argentina game was a sunday so i must have been my dad must have been i must have been around i just wish i wish i knew i wish i could i wish i had some memory of that maybe i should go and see a, like a um one of these psychic people or something that can bring out repressed memories but maybe i've put it to the back of my mind because i cried after maradona scored um, right, moving on. Ross then gave an update on Williams. As Hayes said, the doctor needs doctoring. We got a recap of footage from the Lakefront UNO Arena with Frank Dusick commentating over the top. And it was Terry Gordy versus Ted DiBiossi. And oddly, they showed DiBiossi being pinged as clean as a whistle here after being closed on out of the corner. Hayes then came down to ringside and raised Gordy's hand. And, and Hayes had a go at DiBiossi who fired back with a punch before Gordy clobbered him with a clothesline. Roberts came out also, and Gordy came off the top rope with a spike. I think it was a spike punch, but he said spike. But yeah, I don't really, I don't think he had a weapon. Um, and then Williams basically came down to make the save. And he rallied for a while before the Freebirds turned the tables on him. He ended up being spike pile driven on the floor. Um, and this was the usual writing off of DiBiossi for his regular tour with All Japan. Albeit this is actually the first time that Williams made the trip to Japan, but he was working for rival New Japan. So while Williams later became a legend and triple crown champion in Bubba's company, 
uh, until actually in early 1990, he was only featured in New Japan. And in 1990, he worked for both, which is really unusual. And I couldn't find any information on that someone who knows Japanese wrestling a lot better than me could probably tell me why that was. Um, but back to the show, we got a somber Ted DiBiase talking about him visiting his friend and partner in the hospital. He said he looked down at him, neck in traction, motionless and unable to speak. And it brought back some painful memories from Atlanta in 1981 when the same free birds had done the same thing to him. And what was most painful is it happened because Doc had been trying to help him. He called Doc a stud and said it hurts real bad and something needs to be done about the free birds. He said he looked into his eyes and you're as close with someone as those two are. You don't need to say very much. And William said to him that he'll be back. Um, I'll just pause this here because I really want to give both of these the kind of praise they deserve. I thought that Ted was so, so good in this promo. And I thought he was such a good baby face in this run as well. Um, Stu, what did you think of the kind of build up here on this promo from DBRC? Yeah, I, obviously you've, you've recapped what what happened. Uh, there's only one thing I picked up on the commentary where... Um, uh, Steve Williams, they, they reckon he did a big sport, big spear on Gordy, but it looked more like a shoulder tackle to me. So that was the only thing. But I, yeah. I, I think they're all getting a bit excited. But I I, I put that. I, I, I love the sincere Ted DiBiase interview um, and how he recapped the, like, bringing back the painful memories of 81. And, and I like the fact they brought the history angle into it and stuff like that. So, um, and, and again, I, I've always, I, said, I think I've said this on a previous podcast, I always find it strange seeing... DBOC as a as a face because I've always really known him more as a, obviously continual heel, um, but yeah no I really I yeah I liked it. I like I like that they gave the footage and and um, yeah I thought it was fantastic really really yeah. good um, um, and uh, what else did I pick up as well oh, that that uh, that Doctor Death got. PWI Most Improved Wrestler of the Year, which I didn't even realise that. Oh, yeah, we're going to go on to that in a second with, Cal, with, uh, with Bill Watts. Okay. Mark, what did you think of, uh, of DiBiase here in the angle? <clears throat> yeah, in the match with Gordy, um, Frank Dusek said there were already 20 minutes into the match, which was a shame. I, I, I'd have liked to have seen the old thing, especially with DiBiase being my favourite mid-sale slash UWF guy. Um, Ted did take a good bump where Gordy kicked him away while he was attempting the figure four. He went head first into the bottom turnbuckle. Um, enjoyed that. But I did note, put in my notes, same as you, Stephen, it was surprising to see Gordy uh, win clean. Uh, it was just a regular clothesline. And then the the promo, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this as well. Um, the, the sort of story that came out of it, DBSE said about when the Freebirds did it to him back in 1981 in Atlanta, but the fact that the reason Doc ended up in hospital is because he was trying to help DiBiase. He had some guilt there, and he, he put that across really well. Uh, he blamed himself for that, so I, I like that arc that we're doing there. And um, yeah, I, I did the same research as you, Steve. Um, I guess there was some tour coming up, and Doctor Death was in Japan July and August, including some matches against Antonio Inoki himself. Um, before he came back to the UWF for revenge on the Freebirds uh, further down the line. I've got some more facts for you on Argentina vs England, because I'm now obsessed with this. It kicked off at midday in Mexico City, which must have been absolutely sweltering. 114,580 people in attendance at the Azteca Stadium. And it would have been at 6pm on a Sunday night here. So I suspect there were probably some a lot of quite sore heads that have been out watching that in the pub on that evening. So, yeah. If Did I, you if see I... that story um, a couple of weeks ago about Maradona's shirt? 
Yeah, uh, what yeah. did you sell it for? Seven million pounds or something, wasn't yeah. it? Or seven point one million? Pretty ridiculous, weren't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And Steve Hodge, got... Hodge, the midfielder, had hung on to it, and um, yeah, he ended up seven million better off. I think he got a load of stick from his teammates for keeping that that shirt as well. I've heard because obviously there was a lot of you know Maradona. Peter Shilton's uh, famous for still saying to this day, he, yeah, he hasn't forgiven him and, and he won't forgive him. <laughs> I think Hodge is the winner in the end, isn't it? Crikey, seven point yep. one million pounds. What? Well, yeah. Well done, Tim, for keeping hold of it. Um, so next up, we had Cowboy Bill Watts at UWF HQ wearing a Dr. Death T-shirt. And he was thinking about all the great athletes they'd had. And he encouraged people to send in letters to Dr. Death, uh, basically get well wishes. He spoke about the PWI Most Improved Award they were going to give him. But one thing was missing, and that was Dr. Death himself. The man that seemed indestructible had fallen prey to the vultures. He said, in order to beat the family, you have to create a family. And ultimately, their wings were going to be clipped. Again, great, great, great babyface promo from Calvert Bill Watts. And um, what do you think of this one, Mark? Yeah, I really enjoyed it as well. Um, I really wish the picture quality was better at this point. So I could mm. see some stuff in that room that he was in. There was yeah. stuff mounted on the walls and on the table and stuff like that. Um, they did the old... Um, send you get well soon cards to this address in Breckenridge thing again that we've seen many times over the years on Mid-South Moments. Um, whereas Ted DiBiase before it was sad and morose with his promo, uh, Bill Watts was very fired up and um, both guys vowed to exact some revenge. It, it was an interesting contrast going from one promo to the other, being different kinds of promos sending across the same message that they're going after the Freebirds and... Um, and I really liked how he ended it with the line about clipping the free birds' wings. Really yeah. good. Stu, uh, that pretty much word for word what I put. So uh, I've really not got a lot more to add to that. So, um, um, but yeah, uh, great promo, great, just great package of, of footage and uh, right from the highlights of the, the original match, really. So, yeah. Yeah, this is very good stuff. So uh, Hayes was back on commentary um, so, and he said they wrote a check. Um, this is about um, Williams and Cowboy Watts. They wrote a check their butts couldn't cash. He called Gordy the best man in the universe and if, and if you walk down Bad Street, you might end up needing a doctor. Um, we then got some local promos. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these because these are basically the inserts because they're not running shows. This is a um, tape recording from someone that was basically watching this show in New Jersey because they're not running live events in New Jersey. Um, they are kind of doing insert promos like this, which is obviously a little bit different. Um, so they're not actually to to lead, you know, to lead to a match. It's just more time that they get in the thing. I actually lost my notes on the screen, so this is slightly awkward. And they're back, which is good. Um, so yeah, I'm not going to talk about this too much. We basically got um, the free birds again talking about cowboy crying, etc. Have either you got anything to add on this before we um, before we move on? I, I have actually. Um, just yeah, go ahead. Michael Hayes referenced Marshall Dillon when talking about Bill Watts, and I remembered that's how Jim Cornette regularly uh, referred to Watts way back in 83, 84 when he was doing promos. Uh, so I looked into Marshall Dillon and he was the lead character in a TV show called Gunsmoke. And that ran for 20 years from 1955 through to 1975 with a staggering total of 651 episodes. Uh, it was all about how Marshall Matt Dillon was trying to uphold law and order in the Wild West. So yeah, 650 episodes of the same show. Wasn't that the thing that they always said that Raw overtook, I think? Is that right? 
Now you've said that, that rings a bell. I think I've heard it come up in wrestling talk. Before. Yeah, I think that is it. Because Raw would be more than that now, wouldn't it? Because it's been going for... It'd be... Well, it's, it's definitely over that because it's Raw 1000, wasn't there? So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah, that's definitely over that now. So I'm pretty sure that was the that was the one. Um, so I, I think... Like, slightly controversial while we're on the subject of Westerns. I, I used to love Bonanza on a Sunday. I used to watch Bonanza with my dad when I was growing up. So... I've not even heard of that show. I'm sorry to say. Oh, uh, you've never heard of Bonanza? No, I haven't. Uh, was that what, what was that? Was it films or was it a TV? No, no, no. It was, TV. it was a TV series. It was well, Mark, you would have you you must have heard of Bonanza. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I, I wasn't an avid viewer of that one. It wasn't on match levels for me, but yeah, I remember it. Right. I'm gonna get. Some, while you're talking, I'm gonna find some stats on yeah, Bonanza. Get some, get some facts. We're we're into adverts now, so. <clears throat> terrified individuals worried about bugs and pests don't spray them because other things will come back don't trap them because you'll have to get rid of their horrid corpses just use super bug away they may not may or may not have said horrid corpses um the safe clean odor-free way of removing pests by supersonic sound waves and these sound waves cannot be heard by humans or household pets apart from hamsters gerbils or mice which I presume would be like torture for. Just plug it into any electrical outlet and let it do it do its work for less than three cents a day. 2,500 square feet of protection. Say goodbye to deadly sprays or expensive exterminator visits. Super Bug Away comes with a money back guarantee. If you're not completely satisfied in 30 days, return it for your money back, presumably once it's killed your favorite pet and sent your children insane. Mark, what do you think of this advert? The overacting by the people in this advert was staggering. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, uh, so um, it was a revolutionary new system of killing household bugs and pets. Uh, there was a that uh, bit of audio small print, if you like, when the narrator says, it's ultrasonic waves cannot be heard by humans or household pets, except hamsters, gerbils and mice. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you missed that bit, and in an attempt to drive away a few spiders and ants, you accidentally destroy the nervous system of your beloved hamster. Yeah, not good. Um, yeah, so I don't know if uh, that took off or not back in 86. No, I hope not. Shoot, uh, did you pay any more attention well, to this I, one? I, this one did catch my eye, only purely for the fact of the dramatic facial expressions that were uh, that were <laughs> carrying on. It was, almost, it was almost as dramatic as when uh, Michael's... Uh, uh, took the leg drop from Hogan, as they say. So, yes. but while we're talking about Bonanza, so Bonanza, so um, it ran from fifty nine to seventy three, four hundred thirty one episodes, and was NBC's longest running western, the second longest behind Gunsmoke, and it was famed for presenting pressing moral dilemmas. Wow. Okay. Interesting. There you go. So, learn something new every day. Um, Gustavo Mendoza versus Chavo Guerrero next and Chavo got a good reaction from the crowd as Hayes ran the gambit of stereotypical insults as he did a couple of weeks ago Ross said that Chavo had that Latin temper as well and Hayes added he's experienced that with Latin broads as they got annoyed that he had more than one lady that he was seeing and one was simply not enough for Michael Pierce Hayes Hayes talked about going back to the reunion arena so continuing the UWF event in what was once the world class stronghold um, there was some weird stuff in this. Mendoza hit an awful clothesline, then did like a weird full, a slow motion forward roll onto Chavo, which looked incredibly awkward. But then Chavo hit his deadlift over overhead belly-to-back suplex in 255 for the win, which kind of made up for it, but not completely. Um, Stu, what did you think of this short match? Um, 
Yeah, it was yeah, it was okay. I like the fact that Hayes was still banging on about Doctor Death and Bill Watts throughout the match as well. So it's yeah. carrying on the carrying on the, the the theme of the show. Um, yeah, not 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 much. They picked up on the huge monkey flip, and then bear hug into a belly to belly suplex. Um, yeah, that was it. Really, you know, some of the moves were crisps, but some were a bit yeah, you know, like you say, a bit bit lazy feeling. The opposite so, of crisp. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was it was all right. It was nothing. Yeah, it was fine. Over to you, Mark. Um, Mendoza entering the ring was wearing a camouflage jacket and smoking a cigar. I don't know if it was on purpose, but I think it, it, it felt like he was trying to look a bit like Che Guevara. Don't know okay. Possibly. Um, yeah, I thought um, the, the way Chavo hit that spinning flying head scissor was very smooth, just like his little brother would do regularly years later. Um, Mendoza's... Comeback was very brief, including that rolling sent on you mentioned. But I actually like the, and I'm pleased Stu backed me up on this. You've said uh, a couple of times on the show, Steve, a belly to back suplex. It was a bear hug into a northern lights belly to belly, really overhead suplex. Um, did he not release it? He didn't pin him with a bridge, though, did he? I think he did on, on, on this yeah. one. Yeah, I, that I would be a, no- a few weeks ago. I could be mistaken. That but- would be a no- that would be northern lights if he pinned him with a bridge, wouldn't it? Yeah. Uh, uh, but I thought Chavo looked pretty good. Uh, yeah, I'd like to see a few more how, how he gets on as the as the months pass. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting because he was obviously in the in the heel tag team. Uh, I'm getting quite mixed up. I made a mistake. Well, I made various mistakes actually on these podcasts, but um, I made a mistake when I was talking about when the missing link was was kind of an enhancement talent. It was actually the back end of '83 rather than '84. But I'm sure the Guerreros were maybe back in '84 into 85 um, and they were you know they were full on heels but obviously this guy is is you know very liked now so um you know clearly he's clearly done a good job making the flip um anything else to add on on this one before we get into the to the adverts no i'm ready for the adverts. right chris kurtbeck wants to sell you a pre-owned cadillac and he'll protect you with a 12-month plan if you're not completely satisfied he'll return your money and attention beer drinkers if you could drink draft beer for 15 cents a glass or canned beer for 14 cents, what would you prefer? Well, that's what you'll get from Beermeister. For qualified beer drinkers, I'm not sure what that qualification is, Beermeister will come to your home and demonstrate their contraption and pour you a glass of your favourite draft beer. And the problem with this thing is it looks huge, like some sort of massive bedside cabinet, about twice or three times the height of a normal one. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure this is how practical this is. Um, and then finally, Sally Starr encouraged us to tune into something to do with a lolly, I think, and tune into Sally Starr's Western Theatre right here on TV65. Um, we then got a weather forecast, uh, which looked terrible. Thunderstorms and showers everywhere, dismal. However, the week ahead did look much better. So everyone, when they're back at their desk, could look out the window and wish that that weather had been at the weekend and they could feel thoroughly depressed about it. Mark, any thoughts on these uh, adverts here? Uh, he said uh, Chris Kerbeck. I, I wrote down Charles Kerbeck, I believe. Uh, <laughs> May well uh, be Charles Kerbeck. Was, Mistake uh, number 6,430 there. The main man himself from Kerbeck Cars, anyway, whoever, whatever his name was. I, I felt that come across a bit small time. They were in a dark room with two two cars in it. Um, I'm not an advertising executive, but surely a big showroom full of cars would be the way to go. Uh, but I would uh, say so. I've also written Charles as well, so I don't know why I said Chris. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> And uh, Kerbeck Cars are still in business today in New Jersey. Um, and in the commercial that's embedded on their website, 
they are in a huge showroom with a lot of cars, so great minds think alike. Okay. Um, the Beer Meister one, draft beer in your own home. I don't know if this took off back in 1986, but with many people now choosing to stay home and drink in their man cave since the pandemic, it could be a game changer in 2022. So you're thinking uh, about making an investment there? Not for me personally, but I'd go around to a mate's house if he had a draft a beer meister. I think you can um, get like kegs now, which are kind of a similar sort of vibe to this. That are probably, I, I'm sure there's some actually quite good versions of this that aren't horribly impractical now, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, the cowgirl one, I didn't really make much of that. That was a quick one uh, that whizzed by. Uh, then the weather report, the graphics were fairly dated, as you would expect, but... I was surprised that the voiceover by the guy forecasting sounded like it was being recorded over the phone, which was unusual. Um, yeah, and that was my advert notes. Okay, moving on. We've got I've fantastic- got one thing about the advert. Oh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. So you could get a Cadillac for $12,000 in 1986. That would equate to £31,654 in 2022. Inflation fact. Wow, inflation is well. Yeah, I mean, and obviously, inflation at nine or ten percent. I have to give up this podcast. I'm not going to be able to afford the Zoom subscription. Basically, with cost of living going up as it is at the moment. I'm just. I must be honest. I've got in the background because I'm. I'm intrigued to know what this suplex was. I've got the end of Gustavo Mendoza and Chavo Guerrero here. So, what is going to happen? I would well, bet my I'm, money that I'm going to be wrong about this. Given I had it down as a bear hug. Bear hug into a belly to belly suplex and pin. I didn't have any bridge or anything like that. So yeah. I'm so wondering. here we go. So he's got him in the bear hug, and he. Okay. Okay. Right. So it, it is a northern light suplex, but he doesn't pin him with a bridge. Okay. So I don't know what that is. This, I, I suppose belly to back. If you were doing a belly to back overhead, like Angle did, but he holds on. So it is probably it isn't. It is more of a northern light, but he doesn't pin him in the in the bridge. So I'm just looking at it again. It is it is a belly to be, belly to back overhead. Belly but he, to belly, he doesn't belly release. Because uh, it's a bear hug. But belly to belly. Oh, is, he, is, is the other guy facing away from him? Then? No, so but isn't belly to belly where you do um, you're holding him face to you and you go down and put him on his on his back to the side? Well, belly to back thought... is where he's facing away from you. Belly to belly is where your belly's. So would belly to back be a German suplex? Yeah, an overhead would be yeah. Shawn so Michaels I've, used to do the belly to back, which was sort of a sort of not over your head, but you both dropped with it. So what? So what? I'm so what? What's angles when if it, I'm facing the, my opponent and I'm suplexing him over my head and he's laying on his German. back? No, no. So I thought a German suplex is if if I'm my opponent's got his back to me and I'm yeah. I'm suplexing backwards. Yeah. So this one is my opponent's facing me. Oh, okay. And I'm suplexing him over the top of my head. And he lands on his back. So I thought that was a belly to be- belly to back rather than, but maybe belly to back is a German as well. Why don't I just Google this rather than? I think than... there's the basic it's belly, belly to, to belly, belly way, to belly, isn't it? Because your bellies are facing each yeah. other. So belly it's to belly, belly, you can go to the side like Bailey does. You throw your opponent sideways, but an overhead belly to belly is where you go over the top. So I think it's an overhead belly to belly yeah. suplex. Whereas yeah, a northern light suplex, you sort of dip your your head down under their armpit and take them over that way. Yeah, how interesting. I always thought it was, it's not the, where the landing is, is it? It's where the bellies are, if that makes it's sense. It's how the throw. Yeah, so it's a belly to belly overhead suplex. There we go. We got there in the end. Basically, Northern Lights 
if you're holding on to it or not, belly to belly overhead suplex. So there we go. Release Northern Light Suplex. Release Northern Light Suplex. There we go. Right, right. We've we've uh, we've got there in the end. So Fantastics versus Tatum and Victory next. Um, big pop for the Fantastics as always uh, for their excellent sharp dress man uh, theme tune. Hayes remarked that the girls wish they were kissing him and not the Fantastics. Uh, Missy Hyatt was with Tatum and Victory, and Hayes commended Tatum on his choice of lady friend. Um, one fall or television remaining for this big tag team title contest, which I always like. Hayes talks about the debuting um, the follow-up to the Bad Street music video the following week. All four went at it in the early going, and the crowd went bananas. Uh, and this one went through a break in five minutes. We've got a promo from Terry Taylor. It wasn't very good with a plaster on his forehead, which I'm not going to talk about, nor the Buddy Roberts shouty one. Um, we then get an old favourite, um, an advert for Vinyl Mender, which Phil slammed on the show a few weeks ago and said definitely did not work. Now, Phil, I'm sorry to say, and um, this is probably not the best way to reveal this, but the people from Vinyl Member have been in touch. I just said Vinyl Member then, which is a completely different product. Vinyl Mender have been in touch <laughs> and they have filed papers to sue you for defamation. So you, they'll, they'll be coming your way. Um, back to the match, Ross said that Hayes had left the podium I'd been calling a stage for Pair Buddy Roberts. Eventually, in six minutes and 49 seconds, Rogers went for a head scissors in the corner, but had his eyes raped by Missy Hyatt for the DQ. Tatum and Gilbert then held Rogers for Hyatt to slap him until Dark Journey came out to a huge reaction, along with a missing link for the save. Journey slapped Hyatt and they cleared house, and Ross screamed, It's pandemonium in Tulsa. Um, just there for me, this a few nice moves and the crowd was hot, but I wasn't massively into it. Uh, Mark, what did you make of this? And any any thoughts on the, the adverts we got in, in the middle or advert we got in the middle here? Um, well, um, I, I'd like to echo what Terry said a few weeks ago. Missy Hyatt looked absolutely incredible. Um, I'm an ECW guy, so I've got a soft spot for Jack Victory, but I have to admit he wasn't flamboyant enough to pull off wearing that sparkly feather trim jacket. Um John Tatum was, but victory, no. Um, it was great to see the Fantastics get the same big reaction from a big arena crowd that we saw so many times at the smaller Irish McNeil Boys Club. Um, Jim Ross mentioned Missy Hyatt was the self-professed first lady of professional wrestling, which I'm sure, like me, Steve, you'd agree there was only one first lady who deserved that title. Absolutely. With the WWF at the time. Yeah, because um, this is after WrestleMania too, so she'd been around for a long time by this she'd point. She'd already been she, there yeah. a year, I think, yeah. by 86, yeah. Um, the Terry Taylor, the promo coming at that point. And, um, yeah, I made a comment about um, Buddy Roberts. You can see why um, uh, Michael Hayes did most of the talking. Uh, Vinyl Mender, I didn't bother making any notes because you, Phil and Terry, went in-depth on that one a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> yes, and then, um, yeah, it was a disappointing DQ, really, just as it seemed like we were heading towards a big finish. It was a bit cheap where Missy Hyatt got on the apron and raked Rogers in the eyes in the full view of the referee. Um, but that journey, missing Link running in, got another big pop. The crowd were, were well behind this one. Um, speaking of ECW earlier, um, Tommy Rogers and Jack Victory actually had a one-on-one -on -one televised match 12 years later in ECW. Hey. And uh, that was a pretty good match, which ended which also ended with interference this time from just incredible. And um, yeah, Tommy Rogers was doing a dive from the top rope to the floor and uh, victory went through a table. It, it was a decent match on hardcore TV now available on WWE network. How interesting. Um, Stu, over to you on this. Yeah. 
Um, so I really enjoyed this match, actually. A, a high octane start. Um, crowd were just massively into this, weren't they? I mean, the uh, uh, Tatum and Victory really struggled for the first three, four minutes to get any sort of 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 offense in uh, until Mrs. Missy Hyatt got them to regroup. Uh, typical heel move, knee buried to the back of Fulton on a on a rope whip. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just really, really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I was a bit shame, shame it was a bit of a DQ, um, but yeah, crowd was super, super into this. Um, and, and I did notice through the commentary, Hayes, again, was bigging up, um, bigging up, bigging up John Tatum as well. Um, and that's probably because I found out that Hayes actually trained him. So there you go. Hmm. Did not know that. I'm going to skip over the cigarette advert because we've covered that one before, unless anyone's got anything to add on that particularly. Uh, the guy's definitely wearing a syrup. <laughs> nice. Next up, Buddy Roberts challenging Terry Taylor for the UWF television title. Out of nowhere, cowboy Bill Watts ran down to ringside with a baseball bat and chased off Michael Hayes. He got on the microphone and said that the Freebirds had got rid of his friend, Dr. Death. He was badly injured, but they're not going to take any out any more of his friends. Uh, and basically, um, Hayes wasn't going to be able to interfere in this match because, sorry, Watts said he was not going to interfere in this match because Taylor can deal with Roberts by himself. However, he does have his Freebirds wing clippers with him. And if anyone else came down, he was going to deal out some justice. Uh, Ross reminded us that if we had time, we'd get Duggan versus One Man Gang, and then sent out a message to Chief Duggan in Glens Falls, New York, saying he hoped he was having a great day. Come on, Jim. At 6.51, the ref counted three, but then realised that Taylor had his foot on the ropes. Taylor fired back with a flying forearm for the win to retain the title in 7.01. Just fine for me. But again, I didn't find myself massively getting into this one. Um, Stu, what do you think of this? Uh, I'm a bit bored, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, yeah, I think first, so. I agree. I thought the first three, four minutes were very pedestrian. Um, last couple of minutes, it, it, it picked up with some Terry Taylor, some quick slick moves, backbreaker, knee to head, scoop slam, um, sort of like, but but yeah, it was it was just really pedestrian. Um and stuff like that. Uh, obviously, a bit of drama at the end where Roberts thought he'd won. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, not my favourite match, put it that way. So, um, but it was it was okay. The last couple of minutes were good, but apart from that, it was a bit bit slow burner for me. Yeah, great. And Mark, what do you think of this? Yeah, something else. Um, Bill Watts said in his promo before the match was um, he did acknowledge that Terry Taylor doesn't need any help, and I thought that was a nice little touch to say. You know, I'm not out here as the big guy sort of getting the spotlight. Terry doesn't need my help, but and then he got on about the free birds aren't going to injure any more of his friends, etc. and uneven sides. Um yeah, um, Hacksaw Jim Duggan's dad, Chief Duggan, was uh, chief of police in uh, Glens Falls, New York for a lot of years. So uh, he he uh, got a shout out there. And yeah, the match was what it was. Um the the finish, Terry Taylor moved um for the finish. I couldn't really Get me out. Was it Lex Luger's WWF finisher where he sort of throws a forearm at the guy, or was it more like Tito Santana? Uh, it's probably more like Tito Santana's, but not as good yeah. as Tito's, I'd say, and not as good as Michael. Michael's did this as well, didn't he? But not obviously as a finisher. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah. That's what it was. Lex's yeah. was more. Uh, Lex's was more. Uh, um, Lex's wasn't a flying forearm, was it? Lex's was like a. Uh, a, a run a, into him. A smash, wasn't it? it was yeah, more like yeah. A smash forearm. Rather than a flying forearm, so I'd probably go yeah more more Tito than anything. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I was kind of expecting uh, Hayes and or Gordy to return after the match for another face-off with Watts, so I was surprised when that didn't happen and it cut to commercial. Uh, Miss Elizabeth, the real first lady of uh, wrestling, was uh, her debut was August the 24th, 1985, so she'd been around for quite a while by this point. I think Savage wasn't too far away from turning babyface by... Uh, no, sorry, it's 87, isn't it? Babyface is 87, not 86. Um, right, adverts. Um, basically, we've got the Diamel horseshoe ring. Like Again, we're going to move on from that because we've done that one already. Unless either of you have got anything to add on the Diamel. Do you know what Diamel was before you heard it on this show? Because this I've never heard that expression. Nope. No. All, all I know is what you, Phil and uh, Terry were talking discussing it yeah it's not about a diamond horseshoe ring um so with just a few minutes left we had hacksaw jim duggan versus the one-man gang uh, and and seemingly this is what the show does now the show goes off the air during a match um duggan attacked gang straight away to huge cheers from the crowd as ross called this one of the hottest feuds in wrestling today and just like that the credit started to roll um as duggan nearly knocked gang through the ropes ross bid us farewell and implored us not to miss the great action when it comes to our arena and that's it the july 12th 1906 episode of universal wrestling federation was in the books i love the segment with dbrc and the cowboy but apart from that i thought this week was a tiny bit lacking in quality and just okay to so, see what are your final thoughts on this week's show yeah so particular high mark the little, little, little particular highlights was uh michael hayes on commentary uh thought he was just stellar uh, the the Doctor Death injury package with the promos from DiBiase and Bill Watts really like that. Uh, I did enjoy the Fantastics against Hollywood John Tate and Jack Victory, um, but probably a solid six out of ten for me. I think that's quite strong for this week, to be honest. Yeah, but I guess you did have that really good segment, so there, there is there is that in there. Um, Mark, what do you think? What are your final thoughts on this week? Uh, I, I like. Um their new style of going off the air with the crowd at fever pitch and Jim Ross in full on Jim Ross mode. Uh, but I guess if they do it week after week, it would become tiresome uh, eventually. Um, the highlights for me this week were um, uh, Chavo Guerrero in the ring, I think impressed me as much as anyone did. Uh, and Michael Hayes on commentary was excellent. Um, it was a shame we only got the final few minutes of a long DBSE versus Gordy match. Um, Bill Watson, Ted DiBiase's promos were excellent. And then um, that window advert, bringing back memories of MASH, uh, that was nice too. Indeed. And I think you gentlemen are, though, again, look behind the curtain, we're not recording all of these episodes in one go tonight, which is unusual for me to do uh, two or three. I think you're definitely sticking around for the next episode and maybe the next two episodes. That's something for all of our listeners to look forward to. Um, thank you all for listening. Um, it's been... Yeah, it's, I, I will talk to you off air. It's been a, quite a busy few weeks for me in terms of podcasts. And we're going to get back to you know re- regularly scheduled episodes. We had AEW last week. So we've got a good run of UWF episodes, pretty much the rest of 86. So lots to look forward to. Thank you all for listening. And we should speak to you all again very, very soon. Hello, everybody. I am Ricky Morton of the Rock and Roll Express. And if you would like to purchase some merchandise from World's Number One Mid-South Wrestling Podcast, check it out, all the products. That's on redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments. They have everything from T-shirts, phone cases, mugs. Remember now, redbubble.com, people, Mid-South Moments.
Thanks very much, Ricky. And that link again is redbubble.com forward slash people forward slash mid south moments. <laughs>